Jackson. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. This is one of the hardest Mondays of the year. Anyone with me? I spent four days, four straight days, doing basically nothing but watching college basketball. You're telling me i got to turn on the TV right now? 5.06 on a Monday night? No game on CBS? Check over on TNT, no college basketball? Not even true TV, nothing. You're going to wait until Thursday. Awesome weekend, and it's tough coming back the Monday after. Maybe Super Bowl Sunday is worse. I feel like there's this huge hole right now. We've had nonstop college basketball for four straight days. And if you've listened to the show, you know that I'm not... College basketball is not my favorite sport. I'm not a hater of college basketball, but you can't argue how awesome this weekend is, right? There's just so many damn games that we were flipping around on Friday, uh, checking out uh, Auburn, New Mexico, or maybe that was on Thursday last week. It all starts to run together. That was a crazy finish. Duke UCF yesterday was a great finish. A lot of people saying it's been a disappointing tourney so far. I, I don't know. I don't think you can go in with any expectations. We don't have that Cinderella. Like, UC Irvine won a game. That was fun. Uh, Virginia looked like they might be on the ropes again against a, a 16 seed. We don't really have a, a what was the uh, the team last year. See, I can only remember Sister. Uh, I can only remember the nun. I don't even remember her name. David Scrady despised this nun. Remember how she took all the attention? See, I don't even remember what the school was. Uh, Loyola Chicago. We don't have a Loyola Chicago this year. We don't have a Florida Gulf Coast. Uh, a lot of the higher seeds advancing. That's been the story of the tournament so far. And a, a really tough day. Uh, I guess it was Thursday and Friday of last week, so two tough days for Wisconsin college basketball teams. Let's talk about that. Who cares about UCF? Who cares about Duke? What does it mean for us? This is the Wisco Sports Show, uh, courtesy of Played Against Sports here on WKTY. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Hope you had a good weekend. Did some relaxing, took advantage of all the college basketball on, and uh, obviously we will look forward to the Sweet 16 and beyond. Let's talk about these two games a little bit, because Marquette and Wisconsin were in pretty similar situations. In fact, identical situations when it came to the seeding. Both uh, both were a five seed, both squaring up against a 12, and that's just a really, that's a really popular upset pick, right, when people are doing their brackets. I'm not going to tell you all about my bracket. It stinks, just like most other people's brackets, right? Uh, I picked Wisconsin to win. I think just to spite myself, I actually picked Marquette to win too, so I went 0 of 2. The 12-5 is always a a very intriguing pick. It seems like we always see a lot of upsets there. And both teams really, uh, they kind of got it handed to them. 72-54, Oregon beat Wisconsin. Marquette lost 83-64. Both teams getting run on. And the Marquette game never felt like a game. And and, and I I don't know which loss is worse, which is a a bad loss or, or a worse loss for the coach or for the program. Two different situations, right? The, the Badgers, I don't want to say they limped into the tournament, but I, I don't know after the first couple of weeks if they ever really overwhelmed you. They won a lot of games. They won some tough games, right? But I don't know if there was ever a stretch where they got hot and you're like, man, Wisconsin could do some things this year, right? Maybe outside of the first two weeks. But at that point in the season, we don't have anything to, we have no comparison. We have nothing to reference it to, right? Badgers were just playing well. They were winning games. So I don't know if that loss was a huge surprise, especially because Oregon had won eight in a row, now now nine in a row, right? Won their conference tournament. They had all the momentum in the world. It was, it was, it was an easy upset to maybe pick if you were upset hunting in your bracket, right? There was not necessarily one player who decided the game. It was just 
a, a team who who plays slow, who couldn't really shoot the ball well for the second half of the year, and they ran into a hotter, probably more athletic team in Oregon, right? Well, go over to Marquette. It couldn't be more different. That was the Marcus Howard versus the John Morant game, right? Everybody wanted to see that. Well, and, and John Morant, as we sometimes see in college, was just that much better than anyone on the floor, which is what can make college basketball really, really fun. You can have a player that is that dominant because it's not 11 on 11 or, or, or a nine-man lineup versus a nine-man lineup. It's five guys. It's five guys. One dude can take over a game, especially in college, where the differences in skill level and athleticism can can be extreme at times, right? 83-64, Murray State behind John Morant. Now, since Murray State has been eliminated, uh, but John Morant increased his stock by a pile. That game, the story was told by one player. The Badgers in Oregon, not so much. That's why I think Marquette's loss actually is more acceptable. I think the Badgers' loss is worse than Marquette's loss. And I know Marquette was more exciting to watch and everybody was higher on Marquette and all the talent that they had. Marcus Howard can score the hell out of the ball. I get that. I I really, really do. But you see it in college all the time. We saw it with Steph Curry a couple of years ago where just a player just takes over. It happens. And if Wisconsin would have drawn Murray State and Marquette would have drawn Oregon, these two games could have gone completely different. John Morant probably would have done his thing against the Badgers too. That's just the level of player that he is. I don't know if it's Marquette's fault. I don't know if it's Steve Wojciechowski's fault, Coach Wojo's fault that John Morant was that good. It it just happens sometimes in college basketball. So I think the Marquette loss is a little bit more excusable, even though people had high expectations, and even though they kind of spiraled at the end of the year, and and the loss looks bad. And and what was the play that we saw back in January, back in February, right? I understand that. John Morant's just that good. That happens in college basketball sometimes. On the Wisconsin side, man, I don't know. I told you I, I picked Wisconsin to win two games. Because I'm I'm going through my bracket right, and I'm like, man, there's no way Wisconsin's gonna win. And, and then I'm I'm having a conversation with myself here. I go, Grant, you're you've been hating on the Badgers. Don't let that get in your way. You make the right pick. The Badgers are a good team. They're a five seed. They were meant to win this game. They're going to win this game. I actually picked them to get to the Sweet 16 as well, just because I don't know. I had a weird. I, I was picking against myself. Grant, don't let your anti-Badger feelings get in the way. Make the right pick, and it could not have gone worse. 72-54, there was no one individual player performance on the Ducks side or on the Badgers side that I thought really told the story of this game. There are some statistics. We'll talk about that, and we'll break down the Badgers game a little bit. I'm not as interested in the Marquette game. If you want to learn why Marquette lost, it's John Morant. Now, if you don't think Wojo is the answer, or they, they were playing their best ball at the wrong time of the year, those are arguments you can have. I, I'm just not particularly interested in them. The Badgers, on the other hand, I, I think there's some some points to be talked about and some discussion to be had. 608-796-2558 is the five-star telecom talk and text line. You can join me there. We got a lot of basketball talk today. I want to keep the college basketball talk rolling uh, and really dig into Wisconsin's loss against Oregon. Not just because it happened and, and we need to talk about it, right? Well, Badgers lost. That's what we're talking about because I think it impacts his team moving forward. Maybe what can we learn? Maybe what do we take away from the season? Because if we go back to when the Badgers season started... My only hope, my only expectation, my only goal for the Wisconsin Badgers this year was to just get back to the tournament. If they do that, bingo, it's a success. Right? They went almost 20 years making the tournament every year, and they had an off year. All right, come back and prove that you're a program who just didn't have a great run with a great coach, but you're viable, and you can replicate it, and you're consistent, and even though great players may come and go, the system is still there, and not the front office, but the athletic department can still make it happen. So they accomplished that in my eyes this year. They got back to the tournament. They took a step in the right direction. 
And I don't think this Badger team, although Ethan Happ is great, was that much more talented than a year ago. Maybe a year more mature. Maybe a year more healthy, healthier. But I think Wisconsin, this season was a success. And I know because they started strong and they really tailed off, had some ugly games, they had some great wins too. And anytime you get bounced in the first round, there's going to be question marks. So we need to apply a little context to it. I cannot believe the amount of people... Uh, hopping on Twitter. You can find us at WKTY, WKTY Sports on Facebook as well, that are saying Greg needs to be fired. I don't know if Greg Gard's the guy. Look, I don't know if Greg Gard is the long-term solution or if he's a great coach. All I know is I don't really think Greg Gard was the reason that they lost. That's all I'm going to say. We're going to continue it coming up after the break. What was frustrating? I got to get this in too before we take a break. What was frustrating is just about every other Big Big Ten team won. They had a great first round. Now, second round and moving forward, that's a little bit different, but I felt like Wisconsin let, let the family down, you know? You get to tournament time, you get to bowl season, you, you cheer for your conference, you have conference loyalty. We, we are Big Ten through and through. And I felt like the Badgers stepped into the Michigan role, uh, Michigan, of course, in football, where they have just not been able to win bowls for some reason the last couple of years. And the Big Ten's had success in bowl, in bowl games and in tournament play like this year in Wisconsin, we let the family down. Hate it. I absolutely hate it. 608-796-2558. Jump on the five-star telecom talk and text line. When we come back, I'm going to tell you why the Badgers lost. I'm going to tell you why. Plain and simple, I'm going to tell you why they lost. Stayed up all night thinking about it. Watched tape. Looked at statistics. Read recaps. And I have boiled it all down to one thing. And I'm going to tell you uh, and let you in on exactly why the Badgers couldn't win on Friday. Maybe you know. Maybe you got a clue. Maybe you don't. Uh, but we're going to discuss it coming up next. You're listening to this Wisco Sports Show Brought to you by Played Against Sports. Don't go anywhere. Right back on WKTY. Wisco Sports Show rolls on here on WKTY. Being brought to you by Play It Against Sports. I am your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for hanging out. Hope you had a good weekend. Took in a lot of college basketball, right? You got, you got to take advantage of it when it's on. Because right now, turn on the TV. No game on CBS. Not on TNT. TBS. True TV. Nothing. We had so much this weekend. Where did it go? Well, Badgers and Marquette were both bounced early in the first round. And, and we're talking more specifically about Wisconsin. But Marquette is an interesting case study as well. Especially when you throw the factor of John Morant. Which we see in college basketball sometimes, right? Sometimes one player is so great. There's really not a whole lot you can do about it. Now, Marquette's second half of the season was anything but uh, a bucket of roses, right? A bouquet of roses. But sometimes one player is that great. And I do think you have to take that into account. Join me on the five-star telecom talking text line 608-796-2558. Jason Breacher says, yeah, we don't need to start talking about Sister Jean again. Dave and Scrady loved talking about Sister Jean. They loved to hate on Sister Jean last year. From Loyola, Chicago, we started the show a little bit talking about how there is no Cinderella this year. There's no Dayton. There's no Florida Gulf Coast. There's no Loyola, Chicago. It's just a lot of higher seeds. And if you're about the best possible matchup and the best teams and the best players, maybe that's what you want. As somebody who's not a college basketball purist, a lot of my entertainment comes in the upsets, comes in the mayhem, comes with the buzzer beaters. It's not necessarily about the quality of the game for me or the quality of the teams. I want to be entertained. That's what March Madness is about for me. Uh, Unfortunately for us Badger fans, the Badger, the Badgers or the Golden Eagles for that fact will not be entertaining us moving on. And I boiled it all down to one reason. Stayed up all night, a couple times this weekend, thinking really hard, taking some notes, watching film. Where did it all go wrong trying to diagnose this Badgers team? And here it is. 
If I had a drum roll, I'd play it for you. They cannot shoot. There you go. That is it. That is literally the only reason. That is the reason why they lost. Thank you. I worked hard uh, to come to this conclusion. The Badgers can't shoot. You know the part of the game uh, in basketball, there's the dribbling, where you bounce the ball uh, with your hands on the floor. They're okay at that. They're not great at that. Uh, other th- Passing, they're they're decent passers. They, they're a lot of perimeter passing with the swing. Uh, so a lot of good perimeter passing. Badgers can do that okay, right? They're, they're pretty good on defense, although I thought they struggled to get over ball screens against Oregon, which gave up a lot of penetration. They're okay. They're good on defense. They always pride themselves on being a good defensive team, right? Uh, the part of the game where you take the basketball and you hoist it up into the air, you want to follow through with your hand, right? Hand into the cookie jar, and the ball is supposed to travel through the air with a little bit of backspin. So it, so it hits the rim with a little more friendly bounce. And then hopefully it goes through the net. That part of the game, yeah, they stink at it. And I don't think it is the case of the Badgers getting cold or going on a cold stress the time. I don't think that they're just not good shooters. Ethan Happ is not a good shooter. I don't fault him for that because he is a center. That's not the position he plays. Frank Kaminsky is the outlier. The center who can shoot, especially in college, is the outlier. We see it more in the NBA. That takes time to develop, right? Khalil Iverson, not... A, not really a three-point shooter at all. He actually made one uh, in the Oregon game, which I believe it had been like two seasons since he had done that. Doesn't attempt a whole lot of threes. Nate Reavers is an okay three-point shooter, but he's struggled lately, so when you have one of your few good three-point shooters start to struggle, your team can take a big hit. Travis or Dimitrik Trice and Brad Davison both continuing to struggle. So in the Oregon game, uh, just looking at the team stats, I mean, they shot 33%, 20 of 60 overall, which isn't good. It's not great, especially given the fact that a lot of their shot opportunities are supposed to come at point blank with Ethan Happ. Those should be your 60-70% shots right there. Those are your gimmies. 20 of 60, not great. Three-point shooting, not great either. 6 of 30, that's an even 20%. I can do that math in my head. And I remember if we think all the way back to the beginning of the Badgers season, in Marquette's case, it is a little bit like a tale of two seasons, right? They were hot. Marcus Howard was a one-man wrecking crew. They were winning games. They were tearing up the Big East, and then they started to struggle. In the second half of the year, they could they could barely beat, I don't know, DePaul. They could barely beat Seton Hall, right? They struggled in the Big East, especially with some of those lower-level lower, lower level teams. Tale of two seasons, right? You could almost make the case for the Badgers as well. I thought the Badgers in the second half were still a good team, still had good players. I, I, I like the way that they do things because I think their system allows you to still have success even if your shooters aren't hitting shots, right? Even if your best player maybe goes through a slump, the system, the coach, the ideology, right? The method with which your team goes about it, which the Badgers, I think, have a very strong foundation, they, that still allows you to win some games. I'm not saying the Badgers went off a cliff in the second half, which you could argue Marquette did. Think all the way back to the beginning. When the Badgers started real hot and they and they um they hung in there with Virginia, who else did they beat? They beat an uh, an undefeated NC State team at the time. Uh, they were good in their early season tournament. Now through the first nine games, I had to do some digging and I ultimately came across these numbers uh, through an athletic at the article through Jesse Temple, who's written for uh, Land of Ten, uh, um, now writes for the Athletic. Through nine games, the first nine, Travis. Or I, why am I saying Travis Trice? I he has not played basketball uh, in a relevant place to Wisconsin in years. Demetri Trice was shooting sixty percent on threes. He was thirty of his first fifty, which is absurd. And at the time, we all knew that that wasn't going to continue. The only question was when he regresses to his mean. When he slows down, 
where is he going to end up? Is it going to be closer to 40% or is it going to be closer to 20%? Because there's no way he was going to shoot 60% the whole year, but where was he going to regress to? Well, over the next 24 games after the first nine, which was leading right up into the game before Oregon, so this number doesn't factor in the Oregon game, the 24 games leading up to Oregon, 32%. 44 of 135 compared to 30 of his first 50. That's a 60% clip. Slowed way down. And in the 13 games leading up to the Oregon game, to the to the first round of the NCAA tournament, Travis Trice scored in double fingers only twice in the previous 13 games. So when we started this whole shebang way back in the fall, and we said, wow, Travis Dimitri Trice is shooting the hell out of the ball. He's shooting 60%. When he slows down, where is he going to end up? Because if he could just keep up a 35, he ended up shooting 32 the rest of the year. If he could 35 to 40 anywhere in there, that would be great. What a compliment to Ethan Happ that would be. And he just dipped a little bit too low and he got cold at the absolute wrong time. Brad Davison, another example. The previous 11 games leading up to the Oregon game. About a, the previous dozen games before the NCAA tournament. He shot 24% from three-point range. Look, 32 ain't, 32 ain't that bad compared to 24. Right? And before that, the entire season up to the previous 11 games, he was shooting 43%. Tale of two seasons for the backcourt of the Badgers. And when you can't shoot the ball, you got to find points somewhere. And when Ethan Happ, it seems teams kind of started to figure him out a little bit, how to how to double team and get the ball out of his hands while not surrendering easy looks elsewhere. Points got to come from somewhere. The Badgers can't shoot. They cannot shoot. And like I said, when the Badgers turn the ball over, right, when they don't shoot well from the three-point arc, a lot of that falls on the backcourt of Brad Davison and Demetri Trice. They might not be the ones taking every shot, but they're the ones initiating the offense, right? They're the ones who are initiating the plays to get the ball moving that are either supposed to get good touches to happen in the post or hopefully a good spot-up look because Ethan Happ's being double-teamed. Even if they're not the ones taking the shot, they are initiating the offense. They're getting the ball rolling, literally. When the Badgers are turning the ball over, it might not be Demetri Trice and Brad Davison who are coughing up the ball. Those turnovers might not fall into their column on the statue, but they're the ones who are supposed to have control. Point guard's supposed to control the offense, be a leader. We talked about in middle school basketball, when kids stink. I remember in middle school basketball, the point guard wasn't always the best shooter. Wasn't always, he was the best ball handle. He was the guy who he could bring it up 1v1 against the press and not cough the ball up. Point guard's important. Point guard and the backcourt by extension because Davison and Trice both play a little bit of point guard. That prevents turnovers. It it starts to fall on the shoulder of that backcourt. They just got cold shooting. Went through a long spell at the end of the season after starting really, really hot. Might have fooled us just a little bit. Andrew says turnovers and boneheaded decision making. Stale offense and Ethan Happ got shut down. Just some of the reasons. Uh, why the Badgers lost. Says these are all the same reasons the team lost games the rest of this year. I'm not overly excited about the program in the years to come. I don't see this team getting much better under guard. I'm not asking for him to get fired, but the swing offense isn't as effective under guard as it was with Bo. Thanks, Andrew. I, I appreciate the text. Let's talk a little bit about Greg Gard because I've, he's been getting a lot of hate. And look, let's put this into perspective. Let's put this into perspective for a moment, right? The Badgers were in the top 25 almost the entire year. They won a game in the Big Ten tournament. They made the NCAA tournament. 
Those things are those three things right there are achievements other programs would kill for. So let's not talk like this bad like this Badgers team is a catastrophe right now. At times I had fun watching them this year. At other times they were frustrating, and that's the nature of sports and the nature of our sports teams here in Wisconsin, right? I, I don't know if it's necessarily Greg Gard. I look, they can't shoot. Now, Greg Gard then has the responsibility to try to generate offense other ways. Can't rely on the three, especially the Badgers, because they can't shoot the three very well. It would be dumb for Greg Gard to say, well, you live by the three, die by the three. Because if I heard Greg Gard say that, well, I don't want to do either because you can't shoot. Your players cannot shoot. But on on the other side, what do you want Greg Gard to do? His backcourt's not hitting shots. Ethan Happ struggled at times, and other teams found really good methods of controlling him. That's 90% of your offense right there. Ethan Happ in the paint and shooting around the perimeter. What, what, where else can you go? What else do you have? Now, if somebody wants to talk about how player development has maybe stunted under Greg Gard, that's a conversation I'll listen to because we have a lot of examples of guys who, right when they first came in, and this was during the years where Bronson Cading and Nigel Hayes were at the top of the roster and you had a lot of youth under them. Uh, pl- players like at the time, remember Khalil Iverson, Charlie Thomas, Brevin Pritzel, who were like, man, seeing flashes here and there and minutes off the bench. When these guys get to be upperclassmen, they're going to be fun to watch. And they never really developed. Alex Illicanen, guy transferred. If you want to talk about player development and complain that maybe some of these players haven't developed like players developed under Bo Ryan, that's an argument you can have. We'll have to go back and, and look at the rosters and, and look exactly where all of them fall on this timeline. If, if you want to argue that Khalil Iverson, and, and I loved watching Khalil Iverson the last two weeks, because I think at some point he just said, screw it, I, my career's almost done. I want a ball. I want to attack. I want to be more aggressive, and I love that. But when I watched Khalil Iverson as a freshman, I, I thought, or as a sophomore, I thought, man, this guy's a freak. He can jump out of the gym. What kind of things are they going to be able to do with him? And it, I don't know, kind of underwhelmed. Brevin Pritzel definitely underwhelmed. Alex Illicanen transferred. He had more than one player transfer, actually. If you want to talk about player development, there might be a knock there. That's a conversation we might have in the future. But in terms of in-game coaching, players can't shoot free throws. Players can't shoot threes. What do you want Greg Gard to do with that? It's like handing him a stale sleeve of Ritz crackers and a fruit roll-up and say, make me dinner. There's just not a whole lot there. Just my two cents. I want to continue the basketball talk coming up, but with a different team. The Bucs played yesterday. Uh, they played Cleveland, not necessarily a, a killer opponent. Let's, let's be real. They did win. I think there are three huge takeaways from yesterday in the big picture. I'm not going to dwell on yesterday. Marcus Johnson also had his number retired, so I'll share a little bit from that as well. Yes, uh, yesterday, from yesterday's Bucks game. The Wisco Sports Show will roll on. Coming up next, brought to you by Play It Again Sports. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Hang around. And I'm just so honored that the Bucks have taken it upon themselves to bestow upon me kind of the greatest gift that you can give to a player, and that's for no one to ever wear a number eight again. A cool scene yesterday at Pfizer for Marcus Johnson's number being lifted up into the rafters. First one being retired at the Pfizer Forum and long overdue uh, when you talk to people who obviously got to see the Bucks in the 80s and have covered the Bucks. I never got to see Marcus Johnson play. more I read, the more I see this was long overdue. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY, brought to you by Played Against Sports, and I am your host, Grant Bills. 
Hope you had a great weekend. And you know what? You're you're dealing. You're dealing with getting back into this week. It's tough when you do nothing but watch college basketball all weekend. Yesterday, uh, I was at the Pfizer Forum. We took a bus trip uh, from Onalaska and then picked up a couple folks in Oakdale as well. And we had a hell of a time yesterday. Uh, Bucks taking down the Cleveland Cavaliers yesterday. And like... there was no moment yesterday at the Pfizer Forum, and, and maybe there were those there who feel the same, or maybe they felt differently. There was not a moment yesterday where I was concerned that the Bucks were going to lose. 127-105 was the final score, and the Bucks slept walk through the third quarter, and Cavs made it a game. But I, I just was not worried for a moment yesterday. Cleveland isn't the toughest opponent, definitely not someone they're going to see in the playoffs, probably for years to come. But yesterday does have a couple of takeaways outside of Marcus Johnson's number being deservedly retired. If you want a little video on that, by the way, check out our Facebook page, WKTY. You can find us on Twitter uh, by the same name as well. The video is posted up there. It's a cool scene in halftime. Uh, Not an empty seat. Nobody. They say, yeah, I'll hold it. I don't need a beer. I'll wait. I'm going to hold it because I want to see Marcus Johnson at halftime. It was a very cool scene. So check it out there. Outside of the Jersey retirement, I thought there were three big takeaways yesterday that affect the Bucs going forward. I'm not going to... Sit here and take 10 minutes to break down a Bucks cavs game, which ultimately doesn't mean a whole lot. Now, it helps the Bucks in their quest for the one seed, especially because Toronto lost on a half-court buzzer beater yesterday, which was hilarious, regardless of what team you cheer for. But these three takeaways that I got yesterday uh, go just a little bit farther than Sunday afternoon. Number one, and something that I was worried about, and I'm sure all Bucks fans should be worried about, uh, is the point guard position yesterday, at least. And I don't know if George Hill was cooking up because he was playing his old team. I can't really imagine that was the reason why. George Hill, when he is healthy, at least yesterday, is looking like he could be a solid number two point guard if they need him to be that. He was excellent yesterday. He had 17 points, hit a couple of threes, or hit a three, I should say. Seven of eight from the field, very, very efficient. In only 21 minutes, he had 17 points. When he was out there, he was in control. And as we just talked about with the Badgers, right, part of the role of the point guard is to initiate the offense, to avoid turnovers, to make sure there's no uh, dumb turnovers at half court, getting your pocket picked or getting lazy with the inbound pass. It, it starts and ends with the point guard. Giannis is the best player, but on offense, the, the, the possessions on offense start and end with the point guard. And that's why the point guard is so important. And that's why Malcolm Brogdon missing time is a big deal for the Milwaukee Bucks. George Hill looks, as of yesterday, and they've been resting him on back-to-backs, and they've been being careful, and I appreciate that, because they are going to need him in some way, shape, or form in the playoffs, even once Malcolm Brogdon comes back, because you're going to want to go slow as possible with him. Obviously, in the playoffs, there's a much bigger sense of urgency. George Hill looks like he could be a solid number two point guard uh, in limited minutes, in limited time. He only played 21 minutes. But he looked he looked good yesterday. He did a little bit of everything, like I said. He was finishing in the paint, made some good passes, and he hit some threes as well. Uh, I, that... I left the Pfizer Forum yesterday feeling better about the Bucks because that was a, a a bit of reassurance from George Hill. He could be a solid number two point guard if they need him to be. And with Malcolm Brogdon out, they're going to need that for the mean for in in the near future. And, and with, I get it with Eric Bledsoe. I like Eric Bledsoe, but he can't play all forty eight minutes. There needs to be someone at some point who can also initiate the offense. Uh, and yesterday, George Hill proved that he can be a good number two option to do that. That was takeaway number one. Takeaway number two, Chris Middleton. He's a very polarizing Bucks player. I'm going to give you my thoughts. You do not have to agree with me. You do not have to disagree or call in to debate me. By the way, 608-796-2558. That's the five-star telecom talking text line. 
Chris Middleton proved yesterday he's he has something to prove in my eyes. Maybe you don't feel that way about him. Let, let me explain. I was at the Vice Reform yesterday, and I was actually there a week ago on Sunday as well for the Sixers game. I took a trip down there with my dad and my brother yesterday. Uh, we took a, a bus trip. I the, the Chris Middleton performances that have been good when I have been at Pfizer Forum or at the Bradley Center have been few and been few and far between. Yesterday, he had 17. And you're like, oh, Grant, that's not that bad. Okay, yeah, it's not. Going into the fourth quarter, he only had six. And I get they're playing the Cavs. I get, to, I get it to Sunday afternoon. I, I get it. This man was an all-star. This man right now is the number two option on the box behind Giannis Antetokounmpo. And he is going to be a free agent this summer and is going to get paid handsomely. I'm not saying that's his fault. He's a player. He should get paid every dime that he can because free agency only comes around so long. And these players can only play for so long. Chris Middleton is going to get paid like a superstar. And if the Bucks pay him like a superstar, then he is going to be cemented in that number two, number two role. Yesterday, he had six points through three quarters. He was not shooting the ball particularly well. And as it typically happens, he had 11 points in the fourth quarter, most of which didn't mean a whole lot. Well, Grant, that's one game. Okay, let's go back to the Sunday before yesterday. He had 19, and you're like, oh, Grant, that's not that bad. The Sixers are a good team. Yeah, I understand. He had 10 of those points in the fourth quarter, which means once again, through three quarters, that game was much bigger. He had single-digit points. Chris Middleton worries me. I, I want more consistency out of their second-best player. Chris Middleton's got something to prove to me. Maybe not to the Bucs. Maybe not to John Horst. Maybe not to his teammates, but when I watch, I'm like, man, wait so damn long to turn it on. Yesterday, it wouldn't be a big deal. A week ago, it was the same thing. Had some bad turnovers, heaved some bad shots, played a pretty sloppy, pretty poor first three quarters of basketball. And then he has a flurry of good shooting at the end of the game to kind of save his stat line and make it look a little better. Look, 17 points in an NBA game is no slouch. Going into the fourth quarter, he had six. Come on. He did the same thing last week. Slept walk through most of the game. Didn't hit the shots that were designed for him. Took a couple of bad looks. And he got 10 of his 19 points, over half of his points in the fourth quarter. I get there's something to be said for excellence in the fourth quarter. Yeah, you want your players to be the best in the fourth quarter. But I don't want them to sleepwalk through the first three quarters. I, I don't know. Chris, the more I watch of Chris Middleton... And the more I start to say, man, they're due for, I'm due to see a good Chris Middleton game. It just never happens. Chris Middleton still, still in my mind, that's still a question mark. And this offseason is going to be fascinating in the way that the Bucks approach that. That's takeaway number two. Takeaway number three, and this might be the most meaningless, the least worrisome. Giannis, Giannis looks bored. Did anybody watch the game yesterday? Right now, Giannis Antetokounmpo the first or second MVP candidate, depending on who you ask. He looks bored. He looks bored. He had nine dunks yesterday. Nine! In one game. Giannis only played 32 minutes yesterday. It's not like he played 38 minutes. It's not like he played 40. He played 32 minutes. He had nine dunks. And I'm watching him, and I'm like, he looks bored. He's just looking like he wants to get through this game. Let's get through the game, stay healthy, get the win, and get out. I understand it was Cleveland, who only has 19 wins. I understand they won 127-105. to 105. I understand all that. Giannis, Giannis looked bored yesterday. He had nine dunks. There was no yell after any of them. 
There wasn't one where he hung on the rim. Flush it down. Move along. Giannis looks bored. And when he says, no, I don't care about the MVP race, part of me believes him. As crazy as a statement as that may be, when a player who is a first or second leading candidate in an MVP race says, I don't care about the MVP. Of course they do. Yesterday, I'm, I'm just looking at the proof in the pudding. It doesn't look like he cared about the MVP, and that's his choice. I'm not criticizing. I'm not criticizing. I want that clear. I'm not criticizing Giannis for looking bored yesterday. I just think Giannis is, is waiting to activate. He's waiting to really turn it on in the games that mean the most. He had 26 points yesterday, 10 rebounds, yeah. Four block shots, he had, he had a good game. But I'm sitting there in the fourth, I'm like, man, let's get Giannis to 30, get Giannis to 30. And I'm a selfish fan, right? I want Giannis to have the best shot possible at winning MVP. How awesome would that be? For the city of Milwaukee to not only have the Bucks be as great as they are and have the Brewers be as great as they are right now, but to have Christian Yelich and Giannis win, win MVPs in the same year, how, how awesome would that be? We get, let's get Giannis to 30. Let's get him a couple more couple more easy buckets because let's be real. Cleveland was a, a, basically some they were you know when you you went to a basketball practice in high school or in middle school and, and you didn't have enough people and you're trying to do drills so you would dribble around a folding chair, right? Like a crossover in front of the folding chair. That that's what Cleveland rolled out yesterday. Brandon Knight started. I didn't even know he was still in the league. I understand that. But I don't, I don't know if Giannis is super concerned with the MVP race. He looked bored yesterday. All business. Get through the game. Worry about getting the win. Getting closer to that one seed. Home court advantage. And get out. Stats don't matter as much. And Giannis didn't need to pop off yesterday. He did not need to be intense. And didn't need to be yelling and hang on the rim. And I get that. He looked a little bored. He's just like, all right. Get in, get out. Get on with the season. Brewers season is getting ready to start. Can you believe that? Been talking about spring training. Brewers season is starting in days. And they announced their starting rotation over the weekend. Let's talk about that. Uh, also, uh, one of the weirdest things I have seen. It has been a crazy weekend. Sports aside, it has been a crazy last couple of days for news. With the whole Trump report coming out. And then the weird story with Michael Avenatti today. And now he's in jail because he tried to extort Nike. There have been a lot of weird things going on. This Brewers headline regarding Ryan Braun was one of the weirder things I've seen over the weekend. Let's also talk about their starting rotation as we're just days away from opening day. How awesome is that? This is the Wisco Sports Show, courtesy of Played Against Sports. We'll wrap it up when we come back here on WKTY. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show. Courtesy of Played Against Sports, right here on WKTY. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for tuning in. We've covered a lot of ground in the basketball realm today. Let's change gears. We're just days away from Brewers opening day. Snuck up on me. I don't know about you guys. I've been watching uh, spring training baseball on TV. There's nothing more perfect for for background noise. Oh, what's going on? I'm, I'm trying to work on homework or I'm trying to prep for the show. Maybe I'm making lunch. How oh, what's oh spring training baseball? Perfect. There's like two players playing that I actually need at, at this point in spring training that I need to be locked into. Listen to the sounds of rock or BA or whoever, Craig Kashan, whoever they have down there doing the games. Heck yeah. I'm all about it. I've been enjoying spring training basketball uh, baseball. And opening day is gonna sneak up on me this weekend. The Brewers announced what is going to be their opening, uh, their their rotation to start the season. We've talked on this show, I don't know how many times throughout the offseason, that 
on the first day of the season, when we look at the starting rotation, it's going to look a lot different than maybe even a month or two. Definitely different than probably halfway through the season. And oftentimes that does happen with injuries or, or what have you. But I think this is just going to be a fluid rotation. As fluid as you can get. Now, this is what is set right now. Shasin is your opening day starter. That's no surprise. Freddie Peralta, number two. Brandon Woodruff, three. Corbin Burns, four. And Zach Davies, five. Shasin, Peralta, Woodruff, Burns, and Davies. So Davies isn't going to pitch in the opening series. He'll get the opener against Cincinnati. This kind of falls in line with what we've known about the Brewers and what we've learned about the Brewers and David Stearns, how he operates the last couple of years, right? This falls right in line. The outside world and the inside world as well, Brewers fans, uh, radio hosts, writers, bloggers, everybody who focuses on the Brewers, even here in the state. Brewers need to get an ace. Brewers need still need to get pitching. They don't have the starting pitching. And the Brewers are saying, man, we believe in our guys. We trust our guys way more than people on the outside. Same last year. We know what we have in Wade Miley, and we like it. We know that we got a gem in Yolisha scene in free agency. Right? We think Brandon Woodruff in the playoffs or in spots throughout the regular season can be a, a really helpful piece, a really successful piece as a starting pitcher used in different ways. The Brewers trust their guys. They don't pay attention to what other people say. They have more confidence internally than people outside of the organization. I was interesting to see how interested to see how the pecking order was going to line up because we have pitchers coming from all these different backgrounds. You had basically one given, and that was Yoli Shasin. That was just about it. You had some question marks with Zach Davies, with Chase Anderson, and with Jimmy Nelson, guys who had been established starting pitchers, but due to injury or due to struggles, have found the need and, and, and have been forced to fight their way to earn their spot under this rotation, whereas two years ago, Chase Anderson was one of the, the best pitchers on the staff, if not the best pitcher on this staff. He's going to start the year in the pen. And then you had the, the three young guys, Peralta, Woodruff, and Burns. And we figured that hopefully, if they continue to get better and continue to ascend, that at some point this year, all three of Peralta, Woodruff, and Burns would be in the starting rotation. Didn't know if it was going to happen right away because I didn't know if David Stearns was... What was his thought process, right? Was he along the lines of, man, I, I I like Corbin Burns and I like Brandon Woodruff, but we know what we have with Chase Anderson. He started in this league before. We're going to put him in at the beginning of the year and see how it goes. And if he struggles, then we'll replace him with one of the young guys. Or was David Stearns going to say, Chase, your time's done. You've had a full year. The line is getting too long behind you. We've got too much talent in Freddie Peralta and in Corbin Burns, who showed his stuff from the pen last year. And Brandon Woodruff was a piece in the playoffs. Something that you were not a part of. You're going to start the year in the bullpen, and we're going to give all the young guys the first crack at it, the first opportunity. I expected them to side with Chase Anderson, to side with Zach Davies. I didn't expect him to load up with all three of the young studs, or hopeful young studs, in the starting rotation right off the bat. That was a surprise to me. I'm not going to lie. I like it. Everyone's excited about Corbin Burns, and then we saw Brandon Woodruff last year starting. Freddie Peralta we saw in splashes here and there. You want to know something really impressive? Freddie Peralta might have actually had the most impressive spring of anyone. Mike Vassallo tweeted this out the other day, and I was like, really? Really? It kind of surprised me. Get this. In spring training, Freddie Peralta's opponents, people that stepped up into the batting box and actually tried to hit him, hit 175. 
7 for 40. He also had 18 strikeouts in just 10 and two-thirds innings. That's a really impressive spring. Efficient, right? 175 with a lot of strikeouts. Now, the problem last year for Eddie Peralta wasn't necessarily getting strikeouts, right? It was the walks. He would have portions of innings or sometimes full innings where he just couldn't get command of his pitches. And look, when you're starting in the league at 21, 22 years old, part of the part of that's going to be nerves. Part of that's just going to be finding your routine. How do you want to do things? How do you want to approach being a starting pitcher in the in Major League Baseball? Because that's something you have to discover. You have to establish a rhythm, establish how you want to do things. But there were times where he just couldn't command his pitches. All the natural talent is there. The snooze on the fastball, the movement is on his off-speed stuff. He he can strike guys out. How can he do it consistently? How can he control all of his pitches when he's not getting those swings and misses and when batters are being a little bit more finicky? Now they've watched the scouting tape. How do you handle it now, right? Really impressive spring for Freddie Peralta. I might be more excited to watch Freddie Peralta because he has a little bit of starting experience, more so than Corbin Burns. You keep your fingers crossed that both are going to be really good, of course, uh, well, if you're a Brewer fan, which we all are here, this is Wisco Sports Show after all, right? But I, I'm really excited to see what Freddie Peralta did. Weirdest story that I saw today, and th- this weekend was just about as odd as you can get with the the Mueller report or the Mueller report. I'm not I'm, I'm not a politics guy. I don't know. Being dropped on Friday and everybody was up in arms over that. And then today, within a span of like three hours, Michael Avenatti announcing that he's going to take down some big colleges and their dealings with Nike. And then all of a sudden... Michael Avenatti's in jail for trying to extort Nike amidst other things. It's been a weird day. It's been a weird couple of days, right? This is Ryan Braun cannot get into Canada. Did you guys see this? Thought he had his passport with him, didn't, and he can't get into Canada. Now, I would think that they would find ways to get around this as professional athletes, which is much travel as they do, right? Especially a bigger name player like Ryan Braun. Like, what happens if this would have been in the regular season? Or on the biggest possible stage. Let's say this was the World Series. Oh, I don't have my passport. Are they just, sorry, you can't come in? <laughs> like, wh- how? How? Part of me thinks Ryan Braun just left that passport back in California. I don't want to go to Canada. I don't want to go to Toronto. I don't want to go to Montreal. No, I don't want to do that. I want to stay home in in California and enjoy every last bit of it before the regular season, the long, arduous haul of a regular season begins. That was the weirdest thing I saw today. Ryan Braun, league MVP, a couple of years ago, cannot get into Canada. A country, it would be different if this is like China, uh, if this was Russia, Japan, a country that has a sports team in the league in which Ryan Braun plays. Still need a passport. I understand, yes. I understand you need a passport. I I just think it's hilarious. That's a headline I never expected to see. Got my phone, yep. Got my wallet, yep. Keys, yep. Passport. Oops. (laughs) Yeah, I'll see you guys in Milwaukee in a couple of days. Ryan Braun. Really dropped the ball there, Ryan. Whatever. Get a little rest before the regular season starts. They're going to want to keep him healthy. This is the Wisco Sports Show. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you have a wonderful night. We'll be back tomorrow. A little bit of Packers news. We'll keep uh, hyping up the Brewers as well. About ready to get underway. Same time, same place tomorrow. Talk to you then.